giving us uh, this opportunity to come before you in thanksgiving, blessing, and praise. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You know what the Lord is telling me also to tell you, Mr. Gary, that this will help uh, help to release you into a greater enjoyment of life, a greater passion and desire uh, for good things, says the Lord. And, and you won't be frustrated in how to uh, bring more enjoyment into your life. He says there's been like a part missing. And uh, you get frustrated with it sometimes because you look for things to do or creative things to get involved in. But he says this is going to complete that. This is going to fill in that missing void and that missing place and that restlessness that comes upon you sometimes. That desire to flow in a certain place of enjoyment and contentment for yourself. And the Lord says this is something between me and you where you can, we come together and we minister one to another. And this will complete uh, what that emptiness and that missing thing that you experience sometimes. And so he says, understand that I'm working. I'm always working with you. And I'm always working on your behalf, says the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Amen. All right. Well, Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence and experience your goodness in a great way. We love you, we honor you, we bless you, and we praise you. Thank you, Lord. Open up our understanding. Help us to enjoy your word, enjoy fellowship with you, and come together in the great things of God. We thank you and we bless you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. Praise God. So we're gonna we're we're gonna um, talk today about the fact that you have not for two reasons. There are two reasons you do not have. So uh, we're gonna talk about those. Uh, if we get through one today, that'll be great, and then <clears throat> we can maybe finish up the other one tomorrow. But there are two reasons why we have not. And so this from the book of James in chapter four. Uh, if you'll turn there. Uh, James chapter 4 you know the book of James is a very good uh, book to if you look at it overall the overview of it you will see um, uh, important standards to keep I guess is what what James he boils it down to Uh, people uh, would always say think about the book of James and then you think about oh the tongue gotta tame the tongue so we stayed away from it because we're all guilty of not taming it and James um, (laughs) reiterates that he tells us it's hard to do so we have to watch over it you know we have to guard it we have to be diligent and and, uh, not not uh, spontaneous so much and not um, reactive so much with our words and so when we think about that uh, he also talks about trials and enduring them and so sometimes you look at the book of James and you think well where's the happy stuff here (laughs) this is all happy stuff if we look at it the right way because if we understand uh, what what we're up against and and the victory of it, then uh, you know we can get the gist of what he's saying. He also teaches us how to be doers of the word and not just sit and hear the word. And that's a a real warning to the body of Christ to put into practice what we hear when we gather together. 
and uh, the more we practice the word the greater masters will we be we will be of obedience and of the word and we can come into a place of uh, perfection in God or maturity where we're not afraid of the word we're not afraid it's always going to correct us or rebuke us we learn how to take correction graciously uh, the way it's offered by God Uh, it talks about faith and how we have to put our faith to work Um, Smith Wigglesworth used to preach faith is an act Uh, it was more uh, more than just uh, you know how uh, um, religious people my faith and my faith was never expressed and it was seldom lived and so when he started teaching people that faith was more of an action than it was something you kept inside of you that you know you kind of like treasured and took it around and all that kind of stuff then the word starts to produce results for us when we realize those things and then of course he talks about controlling the tongue and who can tame it Uh, you know he said people put bits and bridles in horses mouths and you can turn their head one way or the other a horse as powerful as it is can be controlled by a small thing and he says the same thing is about the tongue it controls your whole being and it's such a small member and so he comes down finally in chapter four to warning us about the love of the world and that is always the snare for believers Uh, we can I've seen it over and over again Uh, people start out being blessed of God and little by little when God gives you a name and gives you fame that's always the danger point for most uh, ministers Uh, that name and that fame can take you off into all kinds of different directions and so we have to be ever more vigilant over the basic things of life once we have achieved that status and so when you get that you know where your books will sell 10 million or something like that or even half a million uh, there's a, a warning that James puts up before us and that is about loving the world and the things of the world and so we can can really surely say that God has warned us about all of the pitfalls and the failures that can come uh, to a believer Uh, he also talks about being rich in this life and how people suffer snares and and but yet you see more and more ministers going after that wealth in a personal way it's really hard to discipline yourself to where you uh, keep your hands off of that because it it it, in a way it belongs to you but in a way it doesn't so always look at people who sell millions of books based on uh, their gift of God you know and I question is that money all belong to you because it's got your name on it see just like it was when you worked a job you put aside a portion for the Lord you know those things you have to continue to do and make sure that as your wealth increases you talk to God about what portion belongs to him because I don't think we're not bound by the law of the tenth you know like they were under the old covenant you're not which means that you don't have to stop there but you're not obligated to it either 
it's what's in your heart and what your conscience dictates to you uh, that you should do with whatever it is that you have. And so I, I just think about, I can remember many years ago, my husband used to um, put away money. And I know I've preached about this a lot, how I hated it, hated it. <laughs> you all know the story. And uh, But then I would look at it and I said, well, God, I believe that money really belongs to you. Because he was, my husband was not in church at the time, so he wasn't really a tither. I mean, he would give according to what he believed was right to give. But I know that many, many years he took that tenth and gave it into his investments. And I always looked at that as God's money, and I still do. You know what I'm saying? It's mine now, but I still look at it as belonging to the Lord. And I've been able to do some things with it that I've always longed to do for God. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it it either belongs to him or it doesn't. Your life either belongs to God or it doesn't. Uh, Everything belongs to him or it doesn't. And so we, we have to make those decisions within our hearts. It's an individual thing. But also I would say be guided by the word as well. And think about all the great things you can do for God with your resources. You know, you're free to do whatever you want. It's like Ananias and Sapphira. You know, when they came in and and they lied about what they gave, it looked like people in the church were selling. This was a common thing. People in the church sold property and they brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now that took a lot of trust in God to do it. Just take everything you own and sell it. But they were so convinced that the gospel was what they needed to invest in. That was the degree of commitment that they all had. Then somebody comes in to try and defile that. They sold their property, kept back part of it. And gave the remainder and said that was all that they got. And so Peter talked to him. He said, why have you conspired to lie to the Holy Ghost? He said, you didn't lie to men. You lied to God. And so that's one of the pitfalls sometimes is our looking at man and thinking we're only dealing with human beings when we're really dealing with God. And so when we start doing that, we we run the risk of missing the best that God has for us and missing what God wants us to do simply because we put that human element in there too strong. And see, what had happened was that Ananias and Sapphira didn't know it, but the believers there had set a standard of behavior for that church. See, when faith starts telling this person, that person, that person, that person, and that person to do the same thing, that's the standard. And everything else is judged by that standard. And so that's why Ananias and Sapphira were judged. They were judged because the saints had purposed in their heart to live in this way before God. And they broke it. They lied about what they were doing. And for that reason they fell dead. Now I don't know if God's killed anybody recently. But you know what I'm saying. Because we a long way to go before we as a church get there. We, but we do have people who are so devoted to God that they don't withhold anything from him. They're not as common as they were back then. But back then that was a common practice. That's how the women could be uh, at 
uh, preparing the dressmaker's body for her funeral and Peter just show up and somebody tell, calls Peter and says hey can you come pray for this lady she died on us <laughs> the, <laughs> the big ball is coming up and we got dressed she got my dress half made up there in that closet and I want my dress done I got I got my special shoes and my tiara I'm going to wear with it and I want my dress so anywho that's how I mean you don't hear of any apostles getting raised from the dead do you but the bible says your gift will make room for you and put you in the presence of kings or people in high places so the dressmaker gets raised from the dead the apostles kind of die in prison get crucified upside down but she had to say yeah i mean god has no standard faith is faith these people wanted her back alive amen the bible says they showed him all the pretty things she had made <laughs> <laughs> he said oh it's like that so let me get her let me ring her up and get her back here for y'all and so but that's why they had such power in the church they had standards that they set for themselves as a congregation when you run afoul of the standard that the congregation sets you're kind of like out there in judgment land it's not people judging you it's the holy ghost telling you you got to step it up because you can do this you can live up to what everybody else does see we'll have people come in sometimes we've had young people come in that came in wanted to get off drugs got off drugs they relapse and they disappear why because there's a standard of behavior there's a spiritual standard in the congregation it has to be upheld same thing with fornicating you just can't come to church and sleep around and be comfortable when the standard is now their churches where people don't care what you do and how you live but when people have a standard that they must uphold you can't feel comfortable in that environment or you'll think people are mad at you or somebody to talk to you funny or looked at you funny you get all paranoid and stuff why because there's a congregational standard that's being kept there that you got fall in line with or you're going to feel on the outs and so once we understand that we can kind of flow a lot better with the group that God's assigned us to make no mistake everybody who is here is assigned here whether they continue to come or not they they have been assigned here for God's purposes when you give your life to God he has full control so you have to be here (laughs) you know what I'm saying you can't be two places I've seen people do things like you know a, a nice family that that was here for many years and it seemed that this is what it seemed to me uh, while they were here they really really struggled uh, the husband didn't work for many years they struggled financially they were learning faith getting on their feet and God showed them miracle after miracle after miracle well the husband got employed and it didn't take three months before they were oh I think we need to go someplace else to church. Our son needs this. We need, you know, all these things that you think. And I'm thinking, well, God's been taking care of you so far. What's the problem? And little by little, uh, the you know, you fall away, you know, and, and you see them a little bit here and a little bit there. Well, uh, I learned um, 
say like about maybe six or seven years after they left, the wife had passed away. And see, I know people here called a walk in divine health. You all are still alive out there, right? Okay, that's what I thought. And, and see, there's a congregational standard here of health. Amen? And so what God told me, he said, people will not be able to pray and be faithful to a call if they are sick and if they're broke. And so that's why we always had the divine health prayer on the back of the finance prayer. So you get it in your spirit what the word says about both of those. And you walk in the benefit of it just through your, your weekly or twice weekly confession of it. It's very easy. And what you don't get through the word, you can come to the altar and the anointing destroys the yoke. You understand what I'm saying? But we take care of one another that way. Why? Because the first thing the devil takes from you is something you need desperately. One's your health, the other one's your finances. So that you can stay living. And so if you protect those things from him with consistent prayer and continual prayer and releasing your faith for God for those things at some point you'll begin to walk in confidence that those things are provided for and you don't struggle anymore you understand what I'm saying if you struggle you think back oh yeah I gotta get on my confession everybody does that I gotta start confessing I better quit worrying Go get off the looking at the bank totals and all that kind of stuff and calling the broker and finding out what well, you know all that crazy stuff I'd have stopped that and I've got to get on my confession that's, that's the way we correct ourselves traditional way of correcting ourselves and so when we, we start understanding that there are congregational standards that are kept here as long as you're here and you're doing the work you're doing your prayer you're consistent you know what I mean and uh, then that word will take care of you well suppose you get out from under that it might take some years and, and trust me I've seen this over and over again I've seen people leave and they think they're home free oh yeah I'm gonna go over here and start doing this over here and they do very very little very little prayer very little witnessing very they're almost like they're not saved anymore why because they're not called everywhere and so and you won't get rooted somewhere where your roots don't fit in that soil it just won't happen and so when when they uproot themselves go try and plant themselves someplace else they find out there's not much nourishment there for what they have what they need and unfortunately you know they the enemy was able to attack her health and from what I understand uh, one day she got sick and fell into a coma and never recovered and see how many of you know that we can go pray for people when they're in but they didn't believe in divine health at the place where they went and started trying to be members or they talked about it but they never prayed for the sick you got it you can make a real bad mistake and you don't see the effects of it for five ten years or more but it won't it'll at some point it'll catch up with you so I say that not to scare you 
But if you're scared, good. You know, learn <laughs> learn how to respect God's call on your life and do what he tells you to do. You know, you can't look at somebody else's grass and think it's much greener than yours and go want to plant yourself over that. Sometimes you're called to plow and not just lay around in green grass all day long. You got me? Yeah, something always is going, if you're looking in the natural, something's going to always look better and then some people want to prosper and be in a place where that's I guess maybe appreciated I don't know but you know people get goofy ideas in their head and I was telling the Lord I said why is it people get a decent job we can help them and take care of them when they broke poor don't know nothing about the word and then they learn a little bit and run off and start being big givers where you know we we got the one dollar offerings and we got the no offerings sometimes and so i just say god okay well whatever you know i'm not going to be here regardless but you feel bad for people because they're you know what they don't get when you know that they should get is a sense of integrity and where they belong and that God's not going to honor you all of a sudden getting on your feet and run off and want to bless someplace else that's never sowed anything into your life that just ain't right you know we all know better than that I've had people that didn't come to the church that, that would give regular offerings just because we would pray for them you know we got people sitting out there that don't want to go to anybody's church we tried to get them in church they won't come but they'll send regular offerings and we'll send them teachings you know what i'm saying we've done that for years they've been consistent they've been faithful i don't know why they don't want to come to church but they don't come but they love god they're interested in god you know there's things people experience they just don't want to think about trying to overcome and then some of them are basically kind of housebound now i will say that there's one lady i do know she takes care of a lot of her family she's fostering a lot of her nieces and grandnieces and nephews and so she just can't get up and go everywhere all the time she still loves god every time we have a conference she texts us and thanks us saw the conference and boy was that powerful and you know all this and send me the tapes send me the books and sends regular offerings what can you do you have to to learn how to expand ministry and minister to people love people may let them feel welcome to receive what god has for them so well that was free i don't know what that was about but you know what i'm saying these are just things we need to know and understand about god's kingdom and how it operates you know god's a loving and a merciful god he has mercy on the person who is shut in and can't get to service or just feels wounded i guess and doesn't want to come i don't know what people feel but if you're able come it would be so much better for her to get that power live and be a part of things and and let herself grow in the power of god so but uh, anyway the reasons that we don't have we have not uh, uh james 4 and i'm sorry yeah james 4 verses 2 and 3 and he he, you know james is having try having to correct some difficulties in this church where uh, factions of believers are arguing with one another you know sheep like to fight over food (laughs) even though there's plenty for everybody you know one sheep wants to get up and want to tell all the other sheep how to live 
you know, <laughs> very subtle things. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? In other words, what's this about? What are you fighting for? Don't they come from even your lusts that war in your members? So he's saying that people fight each other because of lusts, things in their, uh, their members, things in your flesh things in your soul that you hold in high esteem and so forth and so on he says you lust and have not you kill and desire to have and can't obtain he says you're always after something you know it's we went through a thing in the uh in the church with faith teaching and boy this you saw more airplanes on the front of refrigerators Corvettes, Bentleys, and Mercedes on the front of people's refrigerators. Uh, you know, and that was the old faith method of uh, writing the vision and making it plain and keeping it before your eyes and all this kind of stuff. None of it came from God because that's as much as they got is what was on the refrigerator. It never moved in. They never got a, an airplane hanger to put one in and never got a, a big garage to put a car in. But we had all had them pictures on that refrigerator. And he says, you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it on your lusts. And he talks about the fact that they have friendship with the world. One of the things that you are going to have to learn as a believer is how to discern the love of the world in your heart. And how to divorce yourself from the things that the world loves. And in the way that the world loves them. So that thing about loving the world and the things of the world. and It's not so much that God does not want you to have things but he cares about how you get them. And so he says, if you desire something and, and you, you want it and you ask for it and you don't get it, he says, check your lust level. Check how you're wanting something. Check how, if there, is there a craving on the inside of you for it? Is there something in you driving you that only that will do you know you gotta have it oh I'm, I'm gonna get one of those I can't wait until I get all of those uh, thoughts that come to us and even sometimes we express it like that come from lust nothing wrong with things nothing wrong with obtaining things but they come through your inheritance and your inheritance does not come through the lust that's in your members see many times we feast our eyes on things that others have, which God describes as covetousness. You begin to covet things. And that's breaking the commandments of God. He says he doesn't want you living like that. I remember God explaining it to me when I was a kid. My mother didn't like us eating in other people's homes. I mean, if we were going to go have a meal somewhere, the parent 
would invite and and all of that and why didn't she she want that and sometimes you'd be in over to a friend's house and you are hungry you know uh, she said if you're hungry come home well mama you don't cook damn what I tell you I'm coming home and it was over it wasn't you didn't get you didn't have a second thought you to hey it's over I'm coming home for dinner and <laughs> and why was that why was that why do you think that was well my parents didn't want the neighbors thinking that they did not feed their children they didn't want the neighbors thinking that their children went hungry they didn't want the neighbors thinking their children were a nuisance they didn't want the neighbors to have to shut the door and pretend they weren't at home because they got sick of you over there eating food all the time now that sounds like God to me because God does not want anybody else taking care of his kids he wants to take care of us he wants to take care of us and he is hurt and he is disappointed in us when we go a begging what does James say here verse 4 you adulterers and adulteresses in other words you'll eat at anybody's table you're not loyal to the father as your source you're not depending on God as your source you're still out trying to make it on your own without him he said don't you know that friendship with the world is the enemy of God or enmity with God whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God did you think the scripture says in vain the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy but he gives more grace wherefore he said God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble so then that sums up the whole thing why do we why do you think we have and don't ask we don't ask out of habit you're not a bad person you're not backslidden sometimes we're just accustomed to getting up and doing things on our own there are certain things that we can do that we have like a somewhat of a permission in God to do I mean like budget the things that that come like in your budget you have some discretionary spending sort of kind of thing but I've come to realize that God takes note number one God takes note of the things that you desire in your heart he knows what you like so you need to just make note of that he knows and he cares to get it for you he's already that's part of your inheritance to have the things that you enjoy and that you desire in your heart so he has those things for you what he will do is to let you know when it's time to receive them so you don't have to go out and try to figure out which credit card you can put some more stuff on you start doing that and then all of a sudden your mailbox is filled with all of these offers to get new credit cards oh my how that happened because <laughs> you want them because <laughs> the old one's maxed out and the devil's helping you that's what it is 
So sometimes you, I, I look at them and tear them up and put them right in the wastebasket and repent. Say, God, if I'm spending too much or I think I want too much, you know, just help me. I'm throwing this away. I'm not getting any more in debt. You understand me? And so we have to do things like that to curb our lusts, discipline ourselves, all of the above. You know, you you get on these um, mailing lists or email lists. Now everybody emails everything. And you find out, oh, so-and-so's having a this sale. Yesterday was the day, don't get on the internet, don't turn on television, don't go to no mall, just stay home. Shut everything down. Yeah, it was a good day for fasting. Because everybody had 20, 30, 30, some of them 70% off. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what am I missing? Huh? And all of that kind of stuff. And, and so it's that's a lust thing. It, it lives in our members. I don't think you'll ever not have that pulling at you, at least some. We know how to ignore it. And we know how to, to discipline ourselves and cut the nonsense and stop it. You know, uh, I got a little little graphic in my pictures. There's a man doing like this. Just stop. So sometimes I'll send it to myself. I say, okay, Barb, just stop. You know, I mean, you do what you can do to help yourself. But, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a thing that we all have to deal with. That's why this, it's in the Bible. Because when, when you see it in the Bible, that means it's for everybody. You're not the only person who's reading this and getting nervous and say, oh, boy, he found me over here in the book of James. How'd I get over there? And so it's just a good thing to remember that God is helping us to learn how to deal with these everyday problems that pop up that can hinder our success in our walk with God. You want to be able to count on God when you pray. You want to see those prayers answered. Now, righteousness, whatever's prayed from, from a righteous heart, that is what God will answer. So what he does is that when you start desiring things, if you desire them the wrong way, he will put us. He will shut the door to it. He doesn't want you pulling in anything into your life through the flesh, just through your human will, through wanting something, and you just wind up drawing it to you, or you get over in the natural. I'll give you an example. Many years ago, as a new Christian. And I was, um, when, when I was at home recovering uh, from, you know, getting my mind back together, God was healing me. And uh, I would find scriptures that I enjoy. I even took a course in calligraphy and began to handwrite uh, scriptures. And I liked making cards and things like that with them. It was a joy to me. And I learned that that was part of my healing because it kept me in the word. I mean, every day, and I'd memorize scriptures. You, if you take you uh, thirty minutes to perfectly write out a scripture, you pretty much know it by the time you <laughs> get done with it. And that was part of my healing that God helped me, and and I was able to look at it and see that I had accomplished something. Uh, if you're housebound for five years and you start accomplishing things, that's a big deal, you know. And so that was my evidence that I had achieved something and I had accomplished something. And so 
there I was with all of these scriptures written out and I started getting ideas for cars but I didn't have any artwork to go with it and so I joined a Bible study not long after that and I found that there were a couple of women in the Bible study one was an artist and the other one was I forgot what she did but you know I said oh well those are the people I'm I've been wanting to make cars I said oh those are the people I'm supposed to work with well one of the ladies turned me down flat she said oh honey I'm not the one she said I got so much stuff to do I got four kids over here and I'm constantly taking them back to school nope keep praying because I'm not the one and I thought well how does she know that so fast and I kept thinking well she is the one she's the only person I know see you ask you don't ask God because you presume to know it's a habit not to ask God I wasn't accustomed to praying and getting answered I knew God was helping me get well but as far as how far I could take that as far as prayer was concerned I had no idea Uh, the nice thing though is that in that ministry I learned to pray I found that there were, were maybe about six or seven women who had been saved for many years and were very very confident in prayer there was one woman who led the prayer ministry at her church and so here you had all these people who were uh, involved in prayer and I was a brand new Christian and it was like living in heaven I mean people would would give prayer requests we kind of go around the room and people would say what they want a prayer for and the pastor uh, the lady who was our our leader there she wasn't a pastor but she would write down all the requests and the next week they were all checked off and I thought man this thing is wonderful and see when you're called to something God does not waste time getting you involved in it See, if you're in a, it's no accident you're in a ministry where people know prayer and are confident and there's a lot of faith in God in that atmosphere. That's no accident. God purposely put me there to help me to learn what I was called to do for a lifetime. God wastes no time getting us involved in what we're supposed to be doing. That's why I tell people, if you're called to this ministry, he's got you involved in where you're supposed to be for life. You don't just get you know, tired over here, mad, or you can't wait no more for what you want, and then you move on to something else you think you want to do. Most of the people who have left this ministry don't even go to church anymore. And most of them say they were living to start their ministry or going somewhere. They don't do anything. I know what's going on. So don't tell me that yeah I ran into so and so and they ain't doing nothing. Most of them don't even go to church. And so what? Or you'd see them somewhere. You understand what I'm saying? God would show you, give you evidence that these people have moved on and and done great things for Him. I don't see any anybody doing. In fact, you you decrease. You quit praying. You get used to praying. You get used to the level of God taking care of you because of seeds you sow serving him through prayer and you stop doing it that's why a lot of them still want to they'll say oh pastor barb i know i haven't been in a while uh, but i wanted to see if i could keep my prayer partner because they got sense enough to know if they quit praying that's it you understand what i'm saying want to let go of every you know 
pick and choosy people. Chinese menu people. I like column A, but I don't like column. Don't put any peanuts in mine. I don't like wasabi. I don't like sushi. Don't give me that. They like picking what they want. Like God's offered them a menu where they can leave some stuff out. You got me? And just take what tastes good to them. Well, you don't even know what you're tasting. We're talking about spiritual things here. You're learning how to appreciate spiritual things. One of the things I've found out is people say things like, well, um, yeah, I still pray. Or I'll see people, they've been gone 20 years. I'm still a watchman. I'm thinking, how is that possible? Everybody else is a watchman is here. You know, how you steal that? You know, it's, it's crazy things people say. Uh, and I said, no, you're still under conviction. That's why you offer excuses. See what I'm saying? Reasons. You go into reasoning when God puts you under conviction about something. They see people going about being faithful and they don't know how to get there. So they have to put themselves there anyway. You, you get faithful by being faithful. You get the reward of being called a faithful person by being faithful. That's how you get it. And so I was in the Bible study and, and I presumed, see, I presumed that these people were going to work with me. Why did I presume it? I didn't bother to pray. Even though I was in an atmosphere where prayer was common. And when that woman told me to keep praying, I felt something inside of me, but I kept looking anyway. I didn't ask God what she meant when she said that. And so I began to realize that when God gives you a desire, it has to be purified. You just can't up and grab stuff. You got to it's got to be purified. And take the worldliness off of it. Take the carnality out of it. Get your flesh out of it. And then offer it up to God. To burn away the proud flesh. Amen. Burn away the self-will. Burn away the want to keep up with the neighbors. Burn away the want to get away from loneliness or whatever it is we're running away from you burn that off of your desire and then you're left with what God wants you to have and when you get it like that and offer it up to God then he'll bring you the desires of your heart Bible says he'll do that if you delight yourself in him not in things not in I'm getting old and it hasn't happened yet so I better get a move on kind of attitude uh, all of that you you can't do things with that kind of <clears throat> that kind of uh, desire still on the inside of you it'll push you to make the wrong choice it'll push you to make a choice that's not going to prosper you it's going to push you in the wrong direction and so we have to understand that it's really and I have to thank God because I see so many people making the same kind of mistake and I think God I said I thank you that you kept me from going off in some kind of crazy tangent and and uh you know for preachers it's always wanting to get out and preach more give me another open door give me I've got open doors Every Saturday and Sunday, I got an open door to preach. I don't have to ask God for nothing else. You got me? 
people will say well every invitation is an open door I never saw that in the Bible and I never got that from God see people can ask you to do things and get you way off of where God wants you to be I've seen situations pastors go out on the road they come back and have their congregations gone why sheep get hungry they want the pastor to feed them what everybody else feeding them all the time so it's just one of those things so we have to understand that when God makes provision for you and he calls you to something he wants you to be faithful where you're called he doesn't want you skip hopping and around everywhere and see you may desire to do that but is that desire coming from God is it and you have to really examine yourself. You know, people will say, uh, well, you know, teachers, God sends teachers here and there. Yeah, he sends a lot of people here and there. He sends me here and there. But he's not sending me here and there on a regular, every week basis. Now, we may think that's glamorous and that's a lot of fun. But I've been packing up every weekend for 30 years. And I'm going to tell you, it gets old real quick. So you have to find something else in you to keep you going. Well, and you don't live for the excitement of saying I travel you know I did that when I was in the world you know I had I wanted to have a job where you traveled I did and my husband hated it and I eventually had to quit because there was no peace in my home I'm waiting for the the feminist devil is like, you got the right to do it. You are no, you don't. I knew better than that, and I wasn't saved. No. I worked for a pharmaceutical company, and they the company would deliver samples. You had to leave samples in the doctor's offices when you went to calling them I don't know how long that job lasted it didn't last long I looked out one day my samples were on the on the sidewalk and my husband was sitting in his recliner and I said they delivered my staff so you let them stay out there I quit that well I'm not going to tell you what he said but I learned real quick he wasn't enamored with what I was doing so you know what I'm saying so you just have to learn how to work your life compromising and considering the other person what they're comfortable with you got to have peace in your home first and foremost not see in this way we don't have we we don't ask because of pride see we're we're in the habit of doing it ourselves we're in the habit of making our own choices and it kind of hurts us, hurts our feelings a little bit to have that restricted or taken from us. So there are many things that we'll do to override that other person's opinion even though you say you love them. Like we do with God. We love God but there are many things that we do to override his decision, override his standards override his uh, sovereignty in our lives his ability to see way down the road and want to avert disaster for us see what I'm saying I mean we, we just your lust will, will make you claw and, and you know do anything to get that thing that you want and then when you look at it and you say I can't believe I, I almost gave up serving God for this you got me? 
I mean, that's just how nutty you can get about stuff. You get, we have to watch this crazy flesh. This lust centered flesh. Amen. So we have not because we ask or not. So we'll talk about some of the reasons why we don't ask. So we said here we don't ask out of habit. But we're learning how to ask. The first thing that we do when we start asking is we fear that we won't get it on time. You won't get it on time for your lust to be satisfied. And that's what we're that's what's speaking. See, when you fear you won't get something on time, that means you won't get it as fast as you would if you just left God out of the picture and didn't have to develop any character, didn't have to develop any didn't have to let him purify these desires, you didn't have to do any of that stuff. And so when we, when we think about lust-driven desires, everything we want pretty much in our natural man is driven by lust. There's always some goofy little idea that pops up in our head to trigger us craving something or us desiring something. Uh, you know, I've seen... <clears throat> In churches, all the girls want to, if the pastor has a son, an adult son, all the girls want to date the pastor's son. Why? Oh, just wait until those women see me. I've got the trophy. See what I'm saying? Or a lot of them want the pastor, even though he's married. And don't be single. You you a dead man. You understand? You DOA, brother. You know what I'm saying? You got all these piranhas, you know, swimming after you and sharks infesting the waters and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's nothing but lust. And so then if a man of God goes outside the congregation and finds a wife, everybody's mad at him. Why? There's such a shark fest over here. This poor man was fighting for his life just trying to get out the door every Sunday. You got me? But I got the trophy. I got the trophy. And so we have to be careful praying. You need to put the brakes on and say, no, wait a minute, God. Wait a minute. (laughs) Wait, hold it. Let me pray about this. Let me let you take this away from me. Sometimes you release things to God because you just get sick of fighting him over it. You ever fight and fight and fight for something and can't get it anyway? That's God's, God's loving you and protecting you. You've got to understand that about God. And thank God he's willing to wrestle with you over things. He could let you have it. Hmm? There's some people that are so hard-headed about things. But God has to see down the road that he is giving you recovery he sees down the road that he can recover he wants to recover you right now and give you a person who will be an asset to your life but if you're blinded by lust and you just con- continue to pursue and pursue and pursue there's nothing he can do for you in that situation he has to plan your recovery down the road somewhere 
I've known people who have married unbelievers. Some women have been in church all their life and all of a sudden don't like men in the church. And go marry an unbeliever. Bring home venereal disease. Cheat on you from day one. Huh? And the devil wastes no time in putting all the, dumping all the stuff on you. You got me? And so in your, when you wake up and start crying out to God, that's when God will plan your recovery. Hmm? You just couldn't wait. You couldn't wait to pray. You just didn't uh, let the devil deceive you. Once you start entertaining ideas like that are so contrary to God's law, like uh, don't marry an unbeliever, and you skip over that, you're already putting putting yourself in a coffin. You at least got to respect that much. With, with this, what fellowship does light have with darkness? I mean, what are you doing with, with somebody who doesn't talk your same language, have your same heart, want to do the same things you want? What are you doing with that person? There's no fellowship there. There is nothing but animosity, but it's hidden right now, and it'll come out later. See, they're your enemy. It's just being hidden from you now. You're overriding it. They're pretending. And so when the when the devil puts the yanks the covers off, then you both realize what you got. Huh? You both realize what you got. I knew a woman who was a, a singer in church. She had a very beautiful voice. And she married an unbeliever. She got so lifted up in pride. Nobody, none of the men in the church were good enough for her. And... Uh, it, this man started pursuing her. He was not a believer. He came to church sometimes and would sit right there in the front and watch her sing. And you know, she, yeah, he got her attention. And she said that they were married three hours. And he beat her, her face full twice what it was. And he drove her back to her parents' house. You got me? So let us not think that this is a plaything. You know, because sometimes we play around with sin, and because it hasn't killed us yet, we think we're getting away, or God doesn't notice, or you know, this. Uh-uh. He's not going to be mocked. You got me? Which you sow, you reap. But it's best to just find you some basic scriptures and say, now these I am not going to violate. You'd be doing good to not violate any of them. But there are some basic ones that you know can keep you at least on your side of the road so you don't get devoured by the enemy. So the, God will let the devil beat your head in. And then the day you get tired of getting your head beat in is the day you'll start releasing it to him. And then he can start building the desire in you the right way. And you'll be able to receive what God has for you. He's a forgiving God. He'll bless you with good things. But he wants you to get the right good things. See, there's an inheritance waiting for you in God. It's not in what you see and what you can feel and what you can taste and what you can want that your neighbor has. It's not, it's not there. It's out in glory. The only way you find it is you have to connect with God through his word. So we don't ask God to have it because of pride in the sin of presumption. We presume we know, just like I did with my little friends in the Bible study, the little artist who said it wasn't her keep praying. 
and I found another lady that was an artist and I and uh, she had a friend and she said oh yeah she knows that she has administrative skills so let's, there was the worst the three of us made the worst group of three so-called saints we had to separate because of bad tempers short tempers all that kind of stuff one girl did a lot of drawings and she she didn't want to release them because she didn't think God wanted her to after all of that you know and so I just made up my mind I said well God just show me your way teach me how to do things your way I said I will wait on you and that's what I did I put all my ideas aside and waited on God amen and so I got to the point where by the time I was able to get them done by that time they had computer images that you could buy and download you didn't need artists hanging around you I said oh this is much better I just click a button and I got a picture that I you know what I'm saying and so God had had those things reserved for a specific time and not for before hello those of us who think because we lust for something we're going to run out of time he gave me other things to do I didn't miss not having a card ministry he gave me preaching to do and I had to learn and I had to there's so much to do first so many times we want the end result at the beginning God knows the end at the beginning and so he can fill you with faith and hope for those things you desire once faith comes in you can function in peace because you feel like you've got it already it's the one thing about faith the bible says it's substance so there's no emptiness there if you're in faith for something you don't have an empty feeling about it you have a confidence that it exists somewhere and it's on the way and it belongs to you so faith is confidence substance assurance of something that you hope to have one day and you have to say one day because you don't know when it's coming but one day is fine with you if you say one day and it makes you mad you need to get in faith you're not in faith yet faith gives you a total assurance of what you hope for a total assurance and so when you have confidence like that you know something belongs to you you're not fighting with flesh and blood over whether or not you can have it you know it belongs to you so these things if there's a desire and it's a godly let it come through God and you keep that between you and God you don't need to involve another party and then don't let that keep popping up in your head they're the reason that I don't have this and they're the reason I don't uh, 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 uh. you better get in faith sweetheart amen get back in your Bible get in your word and let that desire be real it's got to be real so when it comes from God it is real amen I know I was speaking with somebody it's the son of somebody that I know and uh he's an adult now in his 40s or so and I spoke to him one day and he said you know said one day I was so worried about my job and I had been praying for him with his mom about his future and about his employment the type of employment he has he works for a company but they have to get contracts 
that are fiercely bid over. So the contracts may be for six months, 12 months, 18 months, a year, something like that. They're very short. So by the time he gets set up and wants, wants to start making plans, contracts over. And it, he said, one day I told the Lord, I don't know what kind of job I need. He said, I'm going to let you pick my job. He said, whatever job you give me, I'm going to take it. He said, I, I see now, I don't know what I'm doing. That's a good place to be, folks. Where you don't know what you're doing. And you let God have it. He said, a week later, the company I worked for got a brand new contract. He said, it's for two years. He said, but I didn't even look at how long it was. He said, and I realized that God has my best interests at heart. He started going to church. He took his wife to church with him. Their kids go to church with them now. And they're committed Christians. Why? Because he quit lusting after Not lusting after things will put you in a realm of the spirit where you know that you know that you know that God is for you. He's not against you anymore. Whereas when you're lusting for things, you're always worried, if I give it to God, he either won't give it to me, he won't give me what I like, or it's going to take forever to get it. And so when you stop that nonsense... And you understand that you must trust God. There's no other way to get it except from God. And you're going to have to trust him for it. You're going to have to quit fretting. Quit worrying. Quit going up the wall. Quit wondering when it's going to happen. When God when. How God how. Uh You get the when and the how after. I remember what Fred Price said. He said you know one thing. He said I can tell you this. He said about faith. He said when you start to believe God he said you cannot let time mean anything to you you have to forget about wondering when it's going to happen he said that is the one thing that robs people of the blessings of God he said if you're going to wonder when he said stay in your word until time does not matter to you he said even with the healing you have to get to the place where time does not matter to you you cannot rush God and when time matters it's a sign that you're lusting you're in the flesh about something or you're scared or you're fearful I'm going to die before God heals me you're already healed do you understand that if he's already told you you're healed then what's time for? Time's for you to get it together and get solid in the fact that you're healed. That's the only thing time need you need time for is for you to get totally and fully persuaded. It took Abraham 17 years to be fully persuaded that God was going to give him Isaac. And he was already old when God promised it to him. He was beyond years almost then. So God doesn't put us to the wall like that. But something might get you pressed like that. I don't know. But even in those kinds of extreme type situations that we think, oh, oh, it's not going to happen. Look how old I am. If it's ordained for you, if it's ordered for you, if it's got your name on it, you keep believing God and it will get to you. 
you got to fully persuade yourself. God does it's not his job to persuade you. He's promised you. You get persuaded by finding out that God will keep his promise. That's what the problem is. We're wondering. Too much time. You're wondering if God's going to do it. Well, not enough money. You're wondering if God's going to do it. Or we'll go back and say, well, I don't know if he promised it to me or not. You can be sure of that. Get in your word until you get sure he's promised it to you. Well, quit making God out to be the bad guy. He wears a white hat, not a black one in the westerns. Amen. So you can you can always tell that God's involved in your life. He will encourage you. He will you if you start doubting, he'll bring a word to you or you get in your Bible to find something to hang on to. He will have you to find a word that will keep you going. You'll get in the congregation, he'll preach to your situation. You know what I'm saying? So I remember when we were new Christians, we come out to was he preaching? Who is he preaching to today? Was he pre- he's preaching to me every time I'm in there. I hope that's what I go for. People crazy. Like it's a bad thing if the pastor mentions something that's a problem in your life. That's your deliverance. Sheesh. Oh, I know it makes you feel better that he doesn't talk about you because you check yourself off as a good person for that week. Just keep living. Uh, you, you better hope he addresses something that's a challenge for you every time you're there. So you can get over it. man. Start listening and, and taking it in. Going home and doing what, you, what you're supposed to do. So the presumption really means to be elated. Ever get excited about something you want? Well, simmer down. To be lifted up. To be swelled up. We always, or puffed up. We always talk about pride in those dimensions. But it also, I thought the word elated was kind of interesting. Because that does explain how many people feel about certain things. You know, I I see it on Facebook all the time. Somebody's got a car. Look at God. No, look at your notes. How much are they? Can you afford that? You know, you want to put a response on there that will really shock them into reality. You seldom see anything. Oh, all paid for. Hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, anybody can go out and get a note. Everybody can pray for good credit. You know, the credit manager will have a lapse of memory or push the wrong button and all of a sudden you get approved. So just don't work with me on this stuff like you also blast and everything. Huh? <laughs> the other reason we don't, uh, we don't have, we don't ask is because we're accustomed to doing things ourselves. And it slips your mind to ask. And so... <clears throat> If we, we forget not only that we have a need, but we also have a father and an inheritance. So you can forget all of those things. You know, it's like you leave your inheritance on the shelf because you're so accustomed to going out and fending for yourself. Your inheritance cannot be revoked, but it may go unclaimed. So you want to claim your whole inheritance. Amen. Like Mr. Gary Claire claiming his musical gift 
You know, I mean, all these years it went unclaimed, or you know, to a degree. But now is time to claim it and and walk in it. Amen. Pull that down. That's for you. See, we never know what's what's there to make our lives complete. You know, we think we want one thing, we might get it, but then God has just the thing for us. Amen. Sometimes we don't ask because you may think you don't want what it is that God has for you. That's a biggie. We always think God's going to give us something undesirable. When that couldn't be true. That's not consistent with who God is. The Bible says he only gives good and perfect gifts. And there's no variable. If he's not going to give you something good one minute and then flip it around and because he don't like you today, just throw you something out there that's undesirable. We may not desire what God has for us, but we want our idea of what it is. So you may be asking for the same thing that God has for you, but you want your version of it. Got me? Like I'll see a lot of young women say they want to be married, but there's no evidence that that's true. Now, I don't like discouraging people, and I'm not saying it to discourage anybody. But there must be some evidence in your life that you desire to be somebody's wife. Huh? There's got to be some evidence. If you're planning for this, and you really want this there's got to be something that shows up because faith is an action faith takes action to implement it same thing with men they say they want to be married but there's no evidence that they're preparing for a wife you know there's no there's no uh, property there that you know or well I just live with her no you won't if you belong to God, you ain't gonna go live with no woman. You got me. Now, the only way that you now there's some exceptions, but there might be some situations. For instance, if you're in full-time ministry, and God has not blessed you, and that wife is gonna help you, but the both of you need to be finding a place where you both can live. Find something new. Don't go live in her place. You got me. Let's just make it a whole new thing. And you join up together and get you a common property that you both pick that belongs to the two of you. Amen. Uh, You just have to do those things. And so, uh, you know, it, it gives you a fresh start. It gives you a place where you both belong. You're not just living in their, what they used to be, their property or so forth and so on. You have enough things in the future that you can share, but you don't need to start off limping into a situation. So so I, I, that's just me. I, I just feel that way. And I think that's probably the best way to get it where you both can have some input in what you desire and so forth and so on. Other than that, you're always living in somebody else's property you know you're like a guest there even though you're married so uh, you need to do that but one of the reasons I said we don't ask is because we think we won't desire what God has for us because there's something goofy in our thinking about it and what that takes is time in the word and renewing your mind on the important issues about marriage and to me 
God's the best teacher for that. I mean, we don't need to have singles courses. I think that's just such a waste of time because many times single people don't. They're too, you could go in the Word just like we could have a class and do it. If you really want it, you'll dig in the Word and find a way to get it from God. Got me? Uh, and it has to be an individual thing with you. You could go through the list of people sitting there and find out well, what's hindering you from wanting, really wanting to get married, praying earnestly for it, and continuing to trust God to bring you a spouse. What's stopping you? You get 50 different answers if you got 50 people. Or if you got one, you might get 50 different answers. Yeah. Have all their personalities, you know what I'm saying? And so we have to be vigilant and diligent about these things and stay in the Word. If you want something from God, stay in the Word. Many times people jump church hop looking for somebody. That's the worst thing in the world to do because you'll find somebody. Because a lot of people church hopping looking in the natural for what they want. Amen. When God has a plan for you that's totally spiritual. Once you give things over to God, he'll bring that. He'll reveal that person to you, where that person is. You know, people can, you can learn from people who have got some, got some testimony. You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> Mr. Gary, you probably need to give your testimony more often to these young people. That think they won't find anybody. You're not looking for anybody. You're looking for God to bring you that person. Amen. And reveal that person to you. You don't have to go hopping from place to place looking for somebody. You, you, yeah, right, or worse, you know, <laughs> you know, in a coffin. Uh, you know, it just you, you just don't know what the enemy's got planned when you start letting your lust drive you. Many times people want to be married because they think they should. Religious thinking. You think you ought to want to be married. Mm-hmm. Because it's the Christian thing to do. Christians should want to get married. It's in the Bible. Huh? Well, you've got to do more than just do that. You've got to get in that Bible and find out how to prepare yourself. You want to be successful at it. And so that's why a lot of times people don't have, they don't commit it to God for some reason. There's some nervousness there, some anxiety there, fear. Oh, you know, I, I, I don't want somebody who's going to do this. The world is so negative. You look at, you keep your head on these reality shows and where people are married one minute, divorced the next, and then trying to get back together. This is crazy. Real, all these real housewives and all these real people. Uh, stay away from that stuff. It warps your thinking about the world. We've got a lot of angry people out here in the world. They're just never satisfied with anything. They just pick at everything. It's all wrong. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can give them everything and have everything. To make them their lives comfortable and still angry, still upset, some still missing. It's wrong. I'm not, not going to be happy until I get someone. So you get in, you still not happy. So that's what James is talking about here. You war, you lust, you war, you lust. You still want something. You don't have enough of it. You don't have it because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you ask out of lust. It's a mess. Use a hot mess is what he's saying. So he says God will help that little hot mess that you are. You know what? 
I'm saying? He'll get it together for you. And your answer is always in the word. Just be faithful to God. Don't try to get it on your own. Do what God wants you to do. So we may not desire what God has for us. But only want our idea of what it is. Amen. Sometimes you want a husband or a wife and you're like my age. Sometimes not quite my age. And you start thinking about when you were 20s. You ain't going to find nobody in their 20s to marry. Dirty old person. So, you know, your vision, if you keep doing it from your own mindset, your what will pop up is somebody who's younger than half your age and a third your age or something. So stay within the word. God will start to reveal that person to you. If you stay in the word, you'll make the right decision. Amen. So we're going to stop here. We'll pick up tomorrow. Amen. Father, we thank you for giving us understanding and giving us knowledge. And we bless you, Lord. Teach us the right way, Father. We want the spiritual inheritance. We don't want our neighbors anything. We know you told us not to covet because that's the wrong way to go. But the right way to go is the way of the Spirit. And we thank you that you have authority in that realm. You have full control there. And you're going to get us to where you want us to get. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen and praise God. So if anybody needs prayer, you can 